welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Hello, welcome back to The Near Memo with David, Mike, and me on the topics of search, (laughs) come in again, search, social, and commerce, uh, and what's happened in the week uh, previous that we find interesting or controversial or compelling in some way. And um, this week, uh, as always, there's quite a few things going on, but we've chosen three very different uh, topics. Um, Google's lobbying of small businesses, uh, anti-antitrust lobbying of small businesses, Apple tap to pay, and Amazon's uh, $31 billion ad business and what that means for the broader ecosystem. So we're going to start today with you, David, on what Google has been doing with its small business customers to try and marshal support for or against uh, congressional antitrust bills that are pending. Yeah, they, they really uh, they took their AstroTurf game to the next level. Um, I don't know if they're, play, they're they're in some sort of playoff with Facebook for, uh, you know, who, who can who can try to co-opt small businesses the most aggressively. But um, essentially, Google sent an email this week that uh, that I received, I think Mike received it as well, um, creating all of this, you know, fear and uncertainty around, oh, there's this bill in Congress and your Google products aren't going to work as well together and you're going to lose visibility for your business, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of the same stuff we've, we've heard from them before, but this time they added the uh, sort of one-click autofill a form that contacts your legislator directly to tell them just how big a deal this is to you. And, um, you know, it's in some legislators, legislators. With an S. You contact your Congress, your congressperson plus your two senators. So it sends three emails, emails. Uh, all on an automated basis. And so, you know, Greg, you, you described it as anti anti trust lobbying of small businesses. I would say, no, this is actually a sort of mechanical Turk using small businesses as the Turks to actually be your lobbyists uh, with with your own representatives. So. I mean, it struck me as incredibly offensive, uh, just, you know, terrible behavior. Uh, I don't, you know, there's no other, I can't think of strong enough adjectives to describe the sort of upset feeling in my stomach uh, as I saw it come into my inbox, but it's probably going to work. I mean, they're probably going to get tens of thousands of small businesses to click the button. Um, And, you know, I don't know how many emails Congress typically receives. I was surprised Google didn't just, you know, take it all the way to the red line and say, we're also going to add on a Google Google duplex phone call to your legislators on top of this uh, and automate automate clogging the, the lines of your congressional um, congressional staffers with with uh, automated phone calls. Um, you know, I, I just don't know where to go with this any any more deeply than just to say it's it's really disgusting behavior. Um, I hope it doesn't work, but I think it probably will get a significant response and um, we'll see if that impacts Congress's decision making at all. Being the gonzo type that I am, I took the time to fill out the email with a different subject line than they had, and it wasn't as Google friendly. And the block they did give me the ability to fill in, I also filled that in, hoping to make the representatives day and let them understand that this was all just AstroTurf. But, you know. AstroTurf, AstroTurf. I have no idea. Think we also got a good suggestion from one of our Twitter followers to build an app that does this, but instead of sending messages to Congress, it sends it to GMB support and see how they like their own medicine. 
Well, th- what what goes on in these kinds of situations? I mean, this is just Google duplicating what other political groups do routinely, uh, uh, both on the left and the right. They pre-populate emails. They pre-address them to the relevant uh, uh, representatives or senators, and then you just—it's like a one-click thing. And so, what happens when these are received is that they just do kind of tallies of yay and nay, right? I mean, I think. Maybe there's some sentiment analysis going on beyond that, but there's no, almost no way that the, the, the messages themselves get to the actual senators or representatives. They, they have staffers who do these tallies, and then they report kind of aggregate numbers, basically. And ironically, what works much more effectively is a handwritten note, you know, because then you have some sense that people are actually, there is a human behind this, I mean, everybody knows what's going on. Uh, the the con- Congress people know that this is all astroturfing, whatever the source. And um, I, I suspect in this case, it's going to be lo- substantially disregarded. But Google will want to be able to point to numbers. 150,000 small businesses objected to, you know, the Open Markets Act or whatever it is. Um, I think what's particularly reprehensible here is Google's use of these scare tactics. I believe the language was you could – I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe they were also saying uh, you, you could lose money, small business. Not, it's not – I think they, they say it's going to impact your business adversely. It's not just – you know, these tools may be inconvenient for you to use going forward, which is debatable. It's you're going to have – you're going to see a financial impact from this. I think that was the implication or explicitly stated. They also stated in the, on the lower down the page, it's going to impact privacy negatively and security negatively. And they were going to have to share your information inappropriately with other companies. You know, I don't know how any of that is true, but. This is what's known in the law as the parade of horribles, right? All the <laughs> scenarios that are hypothetically possible if the, un, if the action being uh, discussed is undertaken. And um, it's. It's uh, you know we had this whole we had this whole debate on uh, on Twitter, Mike, this week about this is something we should have talked about. We had this whole debate on Twitter about was Facebook evil or and Google evil? Or are they merely responding to the incentives in the market? You know, and I think this is I think this is a case where it's not simply the market, but it's somebody making decisions about you know really manipulative, uh, hardball decision making going on. You know, I mean, I know they see their financial results being potentially impacted, but this this seems to be, you know, really self-conscious bad behavior, not just response to the incentives in the market. It reflects their opinion of themselves as an important political player, though, as opposed to just an important business. It, it, it says to me that they think that they have the right to influence society and the behaviors of society. I mean, we know they do this all the time, but this is such an overt sort of positioning of them as a savior of our culture and our economy. It's like gag me with a spoon. Yeah, same with same with Facebook, but maybe to a slightly less degree of late. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know hubris, narcissism, corporate narcissism, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. Um, speaking of narcissists, we can shift over to the Jeff Bezos owned company. <laughs> Amazon. That was a good segue. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, Well, you all saw the Blue Origin uh, 
press conference with uh, William Shatner. He went up and he was he was awestruck, you know, when he went into space. Uh, Captain Kirk, he comes down. I mean, the guy is like 90, early 90s, which is kind of remarkable. And he's talking about this, you know, hyperbolically sort of uh, waxing effusively about how mind expanding this was. And it was an emotional thing. And then Bezos comes into the picture and, you know, appropriately with the champagne just sort of takes over the scene, which is kind of reflective of his uh, self-importance. Um, anyway, all right, back to the topic at hand. So Amazon last week announced that they had uh, um, annual ad revenue of $31 billion. Um, the revenue from Q4, I think, was like $9.7 billion. And it's a really impressive number. The first time they've been so clear about it that they've broken it out. Um, but that compares to Google's 200 plus billion. Uh, I don't remember what the number was. It was closing it on two, two, the, the revenue numbers was like 247, but that subset of that is advertising. And then Facebook had about 115 billion. Yeah, do you so suppose this was, Amazon this was at all related to yeah. Facebook's announcement of its numbers a week before and sort of twisting the knife uh, as Facebook was declining. Okay, well, now is the time to finally start breaking this out as its own, its own line in our earnings report. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty impressive, but it's still quite far behind where Google and Facebook are. They're the number three player in the segment, and they and they stand the growth. You know, growth had decelerated from Q one to Q four, um, but they still stand to benefit, and there's still a lot of growth opportunity for them. Um, you know, I think especially as the industry recognizes that's where a lot of consumers start their product search. So I think we'll see. You know th- those numbers go up, but perhaps they won't get into the ballpark of of Facebook and and Google. But it's it's uh, you know it's it's an impressive it's an impressive number. I think. Uh, I certainly think they have the mind share of of plenty of small businesses. I mean, you guys know I work with these um, sort of startup entrepreneurs of traditional businesses, not software companies, uh, as part of the Prosper Portland program. And I've had two people in the last uh, cohorts say, I need help getting on Amazon as a seller. And it's, you know, even before it's, it sort of goes, you know, their, their sort of uh, priority list prior to talking to me is sort of Instagram, Amazon, everything else. Um, and I think that that's um, indicative of, you know, the, the, uh, the presence in the mind of consumers that Amazon has sort of created for itself as a default shopping destination. And, um, I mean, I personally am really eager to see uh, Shopify's shop uh, marketplace roll out uh, even farther. I think that does have real potential, especially um, if they can get some of these logistics dialed in to more or less compete with Prime, which you noted, Greg, is now going up in price uh, to a point where it may not be quite the bargain it, it has seemed in the past. Um, so I don't know. I'm optimistic that, that there are going to be e-commerce competitors to Amazon. But right now, I, I think that they're still probably undervalued uh, by the market, by marketers as the place where a lot of consumers are starting their their journeys to buy a product. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are all over the place, depending on the survey, but it's generally speaking north of 50% or very close to 50% start their product search on Amazon versus versus Google, which is in the number two position. And I, and you know, the conventional wisdom has been, I mean, I'm not inside an agency, but the conventional wisdom has been that 
Amazon is benefiting, its ads are benefiting at the expense of Google more than Facebook, for example, that it's siphoning money away from Google um, because it, you know, these are direct response advertisers who, who think Am Amazon is going to be a, a sort of a, even a better environment than, mm -hmm. than Google uh, for, those, for those ads. But Google, you know, had a great quarter and there didn't seem to be much evidence of them losing revenue to anybody. So it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where, where the budget is coming from, if it's just increasing or if it's at the expense of somebody, somebody else. Well, you have to and wonder where you, the, the $10 billion of, of Facebook dollars went that they lost, right? I mean, theoretically, right. those didn't just evaporate. They well, went somewhere. So I think that's over the course of 2022. Hmm. I, thought, I, thought that was for, I thought that was forward looking, that they stand to lose as much as um, I could be wrong about that. But that was my, my reading of it. But yes, that's that's exactly right is is where is that money going to go um you know will it go back into search will it go to amazon will it go to tiktok for example or snap um, which recorded re reported its first profitable uh was it quarter or a year recently quarter qu quarter yeah. first quarter mm -hmm. i think i think it was the quarter yeah i mean snap is really interesting because they've kind of been the red-headed <laughs> stepchild or whatever for a long time hey, i've got a lot of ginger friends just watch it <laughs> Well, whatever the expression is, <laughs> the the neglected offspring, whatever the the, but um, they're they're they are really out in front of a lot of uh, AR innovation around social commerce, and I think you know for them it's not just experimental; it's actually happening. It's actually driving sales. It's driving brand uplift, and so they're they're very very interesting in the in the realm of social commerce and how they're driving purchases, but using new technologies or relatively new technologies like AR in that in that scenario. And speaking of new technologies, Mike Blumenthal, Apple introduced uh, tap to pay this week. It was anticipated. But what what's it all about? So uh, 2020 in July, they bought a company called MobiWeave out of Montreal that had developed this as a had developed technology that allowed the newer iPhones to be used as a payment terminal without any hardware. So you don't need a square box or a PayPal box attached in the port. You just take your new type card that David likes to use so much and you <laughs> bump it up against an iPhone and you've made a payment. And it's just so interesting. It's very interesting to me because in the, as David pointed out, in the payment side of contactless payment, while Apple is far and away the most used in the United States, there isn't a huge use case for continuing growth of that use because of the advent of smart cards. But now Apple has figured out how to get on the other side of that equation, become a terminal, which at this point in 15.4, the next version of the operating system, it appears that there are APIs available to this, which will allow companies like Stripe to push their payment system out into the real world, which is where I think the rubber really meets the road. I don't think the micro merchant aspect of it is all that important. I think it's interesting. And I think that having more micro merchants with the ability to process payments is interesting. But I think the real rubber in this is those APIs replacing, even working with Square and replacing the little dongle that Square needs. It positions Apple's iPhone as a processing device. And sort of they're going to use it in their store. So you'll be able to pay right when you talk to an associate rather than going to some, you know, other 
Like you can do it now when you're using a yeah. A I just did it about a couple, couple months ago, where you there there isn't a cashier at the Apple Store, so yeah. right. And so they're pushing that the iPhone as this sort of cashierless solution to larger partners, which I think is interesting. And its timing is right. The 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 purchase of that company was right. The the COVID's impact on contactless payment has been you know up and to the right, and Apple is going to insert themselves successfully and usefully in the payment process. Now, whether they become payment processors themselves at some point, whether they get a cut for this, none of that's clear. Whether it's going to be available on the iPad, that's not clear. But it certainly positions the iPhone as a device, as a terminal in many situations. And I think it speaks to iPhone sales and the growth of this whole industry. And they're going to be playing a an interesting role in it. If it's if it's ta- if it's um, built into the next OS release, it'll work on the iPad, I'm sure. Yes, but they made no mention of it, and it does require like 10x, like the 10xR or above phone. So there's something about the secure enclave on the phone that's needed to support the privacy transact of the transaction. So it doesn't work on any phone. So I don't know if which iPads or if they all have mm-hmm. that feature. No idea, but it positions Apple well for the whole terminal business, right? For Shopify, which I think uses Stripe, um, etc. So I think it's a it's an interesting play, and in they're coming into it right at the right time. I think I read that fifty percent of Americans have are using contactless payment cards at this point, or fifty one percent, and that's only going to grow. Interestingly, in the United States, a very low percentage of debit cards are contactless, but Clearly, that's going to grow as well. It seems like it seems interesting to me as well from a developing world standpoint of, you know, all of these micro merchants in stalls in whatever marketplace around the world, just being able to, you know, have their phone as their as their point of sale. And um, I don't I haven't looked at the numbers in a long time. I'm sure you're, you're much more up on this, but it feels like this is where Apple is more disadvantaged relative to Android than here in the U.S., uh, in the developing world, and if this is a way for them to sort of, you know, increase adoption of the iPhone in markets where they've slowed or have stopped growing, seems like a huge, huge impact there potentially. Yeah, well, India is a good example of that they did have, actually have a great quarter in India this last quarter, uh, first one in a long time. But they're, they've shifted manufacturing to India to get sort of favored positioning there. But their average price for a phone in India is nine hundred dollars versus the average price of you know, most other phones, about $200, $150, dollars and many come in cheaper. So you're absolutely right. I think it's a huge, it could be a huge play in that market for the direct, let's just transact here. And that gives Apple the opportunity to become a payment processor, which is another cut of every dollar, another subscription fee that's could be very lucrative. Number of things strike me. I mean, one, one of which is like, this just adds sort of incrementally to the perception and, and many Android users would disagree, but this adds incrementally to the perception that the iPhone is just a better phone than Android devices. You know, you've got privacy, you've got, you know, payments now and other features um, that, that just seem to elevate it across, uh, uh, versus the run-of-the-mill Android phone. What I was struck by was, um, you know, the peer-to-peer kind of dimensions for this, like the Venmo style transactions. I mean, I, 
I don't know. That's that's not a market that Apple's going to make any money off of, but it will reinforce potentially reinforce, you know, just like the the blue bubble, green bubble, <laughs> messaging, uh, cultural thing. I mean, this may this may be appealing to young people who do a lot of Venmoing, you know, when they when they go out to eat or whatever. Um, there's a lot of peer to peer payments uh, activity going on, and this and this may. Uh, you know, may maybe play into that uh, as well. I wouldn't mind an alternative Venmo. I periodically in my Venmo stream see every transaction from somebody I've done business with because they don't know to, well, that's, to shut off their, their yeah, to that's, change their privacy uh, settings. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at my plumber who doesn't want to be a business. He wants me to pay him. I'm seeing how much he paid his daughter and his wife this last week. It's like, yeah, that's whoa, that's TMI. really unfortunate. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. That's that's the big problem with Venmo is just the privacy, the privacy so, dimension. I mean, I, and that's of course owned by PayPal, right? And well, and so Apple's Apple Apple strength of, of of actually caring and and putting privacy first in a lot of their uh, their implementation of new technologies. So, I'd be curious to know with Apple Cash and Apple Cash likes products, how much money just sits there before it gets transferred? Because I never, you know, it comes in when I may do a credit card pay purchase. It comes in. A little bit here, a little bit there, but a little bit here, a little bit there by millions of people ends up being a lot of money sitting in Apple's bank. And well, certainly they don't need they don't need the cash. They don't need <laughs> that. The they don't. But, um, you know, it's just another it's just another because they can kind of thing. There's probably some sort of uh, fintech master plan behind all this. Um, it's. It's it's not entirely clear, but I think it's I think it's an interesting development. It doesn't seem like something that, I mean, you you point out that maybe third parties will take this into the enterprise or take this to the mass market, but it doesn't seem like an enterprise thing. If you're if you're a major retailer or a restaurant chain or anybody in that category, you're going to have existing kind of hardware that you're invested in and associated. Although software. I could imagine a restaurant equipping people with. Uh, waitress, waitress, wait people with phones and ha yeah. payment at the table with the phone. Just tap, boom, and you're well, done. Well, that's that's what happens in Europe, right? You know, you don't. You, yeah, you just, those devices are the, awful. <laughs> yeah, well, they bring the they bring the little calculator, right. whatever the hell it is, to you. You you get the you know you get the the receipt right there. Nobody goes up to a register. I, I mean, it's no, it's really no different than taking the card back to some central place, having them process it and bring bringing back the receipt. But it's just the way that it's typically done. And so that is very plausible. What, what you said, Mike, about the the sort of um, another interesting enterprise scenario is this idea of, 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 of the Apple store kind of no cash wrap, no central place where you have to stand in line. And, you know, having people wandering the store, being able to check you out on demand I think is a really interesting thing, especially with what's going on with Amazon and it's kind of just walk out technology. So that's that's an an enterprise retail use case that that I think is pretty interesting and would be welcomed by a lot of customers. You know, can I help you buy something? I mean, that also might increase sales, right? Are you ready to buy? I can take care of you right now. So, Which does seem to be the case with Apple Pay anyways. People spend more, you know, average ticket on Apple Pay is above, I mean, Obviously, it's a well-heeled clientele, but it appears to be even above average ticket for that that group of people, anyways. On Apple, with a with a credit card, even apparently, from what mm -hmm. I what I read, that's, I don't know that, but so that's 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 pretty interesting because to me, it's identical. 
It's because it ultimately backs onto a credit card. I just like it because it's faster than the credit card. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily make me think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not paying at all, which is the psychology, you know, <laughs> removing. There's no real payment happening here. Let me just get the extra thing that I have in my The problem where right. I live is it's so erratic, right? Either they, maybe they don't accept American Express at this particular place, or this place has it, but it's not working. Even right? here it's in like, Portland, it's very erratic. So that's, that's why I'm still with the physical card in large measure as well. So. Yeah, every, every single grocery store that I shop at, and there's six of them. Takes takes it now. They all have terminals. So I think only it. one of them takes and it here. That I, I think Whole Foods is the only one that I know. Yeah. Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Safeway, Lucky. Right. My you know, on my favorite grocery store takes it, but they don't take American Express, which is my preferred right. uh, Apple Pay tap to pay card. Same. So so that's the that's part of the problem. It's American Express, but yeah. why 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 is that? They why charge are you preferring them. Well, be. Uh, Oh, because of because American Express you know charges more to the merchants, so many merchants don't like it because it's no, no. Why? Why do you prefer American Express to Visa, for example? Um, it just happened to be the because I, I flew on Delta a lot. It was where I was accumulating. Oh, so you have a you have a loyalty, have a loyalty card, card have a, which yeah. I'm going to get rid of. But oh, yeah. that's where it's been. I'm not particularly loyal oh, okay. to American Express, but <laughs> just happens that's where it's been. Yeah, it seemed it's it's a very not Mike Blumenthal kind of position, I think. Right. Well, there was a period where since flying on Delta, Delta's <laughs> card. I want to spin off podcast to explore that thread, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so, I now okay. have a quarter million frequent flyer miles. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. <laughs> well, you'll go somewhere at some point. I mean, this isn't going to last forever. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting on almost six hundred thousand frequent flyer wow. miles. So it's you know. Enough enough trips to Berlin and you mm -hmm. you start accruing them. Um, okay, so we're we're out of time. Anybody want to say any last uh, words before we adjourn for the week? No, thanks for listening again. Uh, thanks to those of you who took our reader survey. Uh, it really has helped us uh, sort of advance some of our ideas for where to focus in 2022. And we hope to follow up with a, a more formal survey, uh, hopefully equally brief, uh, here in the next week to ten days. So. Thanks uh, for those of you who already participated and who will participate on the next one. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.